Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a snowy show for you today, folks. Uh, I am stuck at home right now. It's snowing outside. It's getting cold. Winter has finally arrived. So we're going to be talking about snow today and winter. And what does that mean for your plants? And what can we do right now to protect our plants, especially when we're going out, we're shoveling, we're throwing down salt, uh, trying to get rid of some of that ice, whether it's on the sidewalk or a branch. And you know I'm not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. We haven't got as much snow as you, so we're still in the office. I know. I can see that. That you're still able to go into the office and you're not, I'm, I'm hiding back where I was in 2020, you know, away <laughs> from my family, trying to uh, steal a few moments away to do a little bit of work. So, um, yeah, it's, it's bringing back memories. Back, back when we opened up this can of worms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we'll close that can right now and put it away and not think about it. Yep. So, well, Ken, I, I'm glad to hear that you're at least able to get in the office, but it's about to get really cold in your neck of the woods, correct? Yes, it's a slushy mess outside. Um, so it could get could get interesting. I think so people will be listening this Friday. So I think, you know, may change from today on Tuesday, but mm-hmm. we're talking below zero next week. So yeah. Should be potential potential highs that are below zero. Yes. So that's um, that's why we have the beards, everyone. Um, grow, your, grow your beards quickly. You got a couple more days. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Grow your beards. Um, so I, I guess, Ken, today we're going to give a couple tips for folks that uh, maybe like me, I pretty soon after recording this, we're going to have to go outside, shovel some snow. Uh, we got a couple limbs that are really weighed down because kind of like you, it started out as rain, but then it froze. And so we have kind of a double layer of ice on branches and then wet snow on top of that. And so we do have a lot of lower limbs down with that cold weather is going to bring a lot of wind. And so I'm, I'm worried we're going to get some, some branch breakage out there, but maybe we need to distinguish a little bit here. Um, I have a combination, as I mentioned, of ice and snow on our limbs, but when we talk about the weight of something on a tree limb, ice and snow, they're, they're, similar. They're both water in a frozen form, but it's different in how we handle it. Uh, could you describe a little bit about that difference? Yeah. So, so both of them are going to weigh down branches and, and trees and, and whatnot with snow. That is something you can try to remove if it's safe. Uh, you know, if you've got broken branches hanging over your head or something like that, you don't want to do this. Uh, but snow, if you've got snow weighing down your, your branches and stuff, you can go out and and gently brush that off, brushing it up to remove that, help relieve that weight. Then <clears throat> those branches should, um, you know, come back up, spring back up. So again, depending on how far they're laying down, be careful when they <laughs> start removing that. Uh, ice, on the other hand, that's going to be kind of encasing those branches. And you start breaking that off, you run the risk of doing more damage um, to that branch than that ice is going to cause. So that the branches may become a little more brittle. You start banging on that, breaking that off. You're going to potentially damage those branches. So if it's ice, let it melt on its own. And whatever happens, happens, just leave it. Mm-hmm. And and I'll add that, especially when it comes to snow and you, maybe it's a limb that's above your head and you're, you go to shake it off. Uh, one thing that I was taught to, taught to me is you never want to pull down. Don't pull down on it because that 
you might be at the literal breaking point of that branch with that snow, and then you add a little bit more downward force, and it snaps. So instead, if you can, get like a broom or something, you just push up. Push up on that limb. A lot of that snow will shed off and just, just shake it, as Ken described like that. So be careful when it comes to limbs, especially big ones above your head. Don't pull down on them. Push up on them. And our trees have, you know, trees have been around for millions of years and had snow on them for millions of years. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may lose some branches here and there, but for the most part, they will survive. Yeah, they they are adapted to this. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and there's also some trees that are a bit more well adapted to this, um, namely some of our our evergreens, but also our younger trees. I, I I've mentioned on the show, I've got two brand new trees in the ground out in the yard they're leaning over but i'm not worried about them because they have very flexible woody fibers um because they're young and that's they're they're supposed to be able to do that Uh, but our evergreens can right they are also fairly flexible and they have to be because they keep their leaves over the winter and they that's a little bit extra weight for them yeah, you think about your conifers, you know, when you typically think of where they live, you know, you think out in the mountains and stuff where we've got a lot of snow. So they've, I got nothing, they've kind of evolved for for most conifers, for most conifers to have snow load and stuff on them. So they're going to be more flexible a lot of times compared to deciduous trees. Uh, that cone shape that they've got, when you think of our typical conifer, that's going to help shed snow. Uh, you think about our deciduous trees that have more ball shaped that's going to catch more snow on it than a conifer that cone shape will uh their needles are kind of smooth so it's going to help shed snow as well so again they're, they're adapted to kind of living in snowy conditions and, and dealing with that um mm-hmm. so it's someone and you don't have to be quite as concerned with it. they can still get loaded up with snow and ice and and have limb breakage but it's probably not gonna be happening happening as much as with uh, more deciduous trees yeah and I, I think it it really does matter too in terms of uh, that that branch angle of of that limb and sort of tie this in with conifers. Probably the one where I see a lot of damage is we have a white pine in our backyard that lost its central leader many years ago, and that means several of the side branches have tried to take over. So there we have these multiple tops to the singular tree, and whenever we get weather like this, we lose one of those larger limbs. In that tree because because one we've lost that pyramidal structure and two those branch angles created by those competing uh branches they're they're more uh acute they're 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 narrower which creates puts a lot of pressure or force on a kind of that singular spot that lower part of the limb and so we get easier breakage in that case and um so i that's another thing to consider maybe not today or tomorrow or this week but if you do go out and you prune so you do some winter pruning a good idea would be to look for some of those those branch angles and we call them crotch angles Uh, we want them to be wide you know 90 degrees is ideal doesn't usually happen but a lot of the narrower ones so a, a narrow crotch angle which is very common in like an ornamental pear tree uh which if it is anyone has ever had one of those in their yard, you know weather like this, you're picking up branches uh, assuredly. So um, prune your trees, favoring those wider branching angles, and try to eliminate some of those more narrow or acute angled uh, crotch angles. Yeah, those more perpendicular branches are, are stronger. It's just 
the more perpendicular, the stronger that attachment is and more weight it can hold. Mm-hmm. It's physics. Mm-hmm. And, and I have seen some stuff with, especially with more of the shrubs, where if you've got some of those that have really narrow, they're more columnar type, you can tie that stuff up um, mm-hmm. and help support it a little bit. But again, a little late for that now, but um, once things thaw out a little bit, go out and do that if they're predicting more snow yeah. at some point. I think as as we just kicked off recording, I got a text from my wife who's upstairs, and she said, I think we're getting eight more inches of snow in a few days. So, hey, maybe you should go out and start. You can tie these burlap strips around like arborvitae or like a, like a columnar juniper if you have any of those. Um, that will help reduce the snow or ice that can accumulate on them, thus reducing the, any breakage of those limbs. So uh, it, without a doubt, seeing the type of weather, how it's shaped up from rain to ice to snow and heavy wind. I know, Ken, you and I are both going to get phone calls this spring about Arborvitae who have like lost half half of a side or something, you know, so we're I'm expecting that to happen. Yeah, probably. Job security. <laughs> Job security. That's why I keep sending the deer out. Uh, so I, they'll also <laughs> eat the Arborvitae. Again, job security. Uh, well, Ken, another job to do out when we are working, removing snow is where do we put this snow? Are you, when you're shoveling snow or pushing snow, do you have a spot, specific spot where you push it to? Do you try to avoid pushing it to any particular areas? What's your game plan when it comes to moving snow? Um, so we've got a gravel driveway, so I try to shovel it as little Ooh, as possible. As, as little <laughs> as possible, yes. <laughs> so yeah, we usually pack it down nice and good. And and for the most part, I mean, here in Jacksonville, we don't usually get a tremendous amount of snow. But there have been a few times we've had to shovel. Uh, and then I'm picking up rocks out of the yard for the next six months. But usually I try to do it, you know, basically where that snow is. I try not to have one giant pile uh, of stuff. I try to distribute that out. The problem with if you got giant piles, you see this a lot in parking lots mm-hmm. when they're just plowing that out. They're pushing it up against plants. Um, you know, depending on how hard they're pushing, they may be damaging, breaking branches, uh, damaging that trunk if they're, the plow blade is getting up against that. Same thing if you're shoveling. If you're shoveling stuff under one pile and you've got plants under there, um, you, you can run the risk of smothering those and damaging those, especially for woody plants. Uh, so when you're shoveling, be mindful of where you're putting that. You don't want to pile that on top of or, or on uh, plants, especially woody plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's why. And when I did landscaping, I remember we did a landscaping job for uh, like a, a Dick Sporting Goods and we did the parking lot and we did, a you know, the tree in the parking island. And then we did all these shrubs and things around the tree and we're all like, this stuff is not going to survive winter. This is going to get snow piled on top of it. And then it's just going to be smushed. The The tree will be lucky to survive. So um, it you do have to be very careful. Ken mentioned, especially those woody plants, um, piling that snow on top of them. Because um, it's, you know, a snowflake is very delicate. It's beautiful. It's it's a nature's uh, a wondrous miracle work. Uh but when you get all these snowflakes on top of each other and smush together and you create a snowball, ice ball, whatever, it's heavy and it can hurt when flung into someone's head. So um, <laughs> it can hurt your plants, too. So don't smat, pile everything on top of your shrubs. Yeah, and a lot of times, maybe not so much with 
with residential areas on, on driveways and stuff, but sidewalks maybe with salt. If you're putting salt down and then you're shoveling that up and you're piling that all in one spot, you're just building up that salt in that one area. Whereas if you distribute it more, yeah, you're getting salt other places, but it's a little more spread out and you're not getting quite as concentrated in one area. That's right. Well, Ken, you've brought up the S word, salt. Um, so there's a lot to cover when it comes to a de-icing salt. Um, and I, I, I guess kicking things off, the primary we look at sort of formulas, the chemical of salt is sodium chloride. And if I, I could be wrong, if anyone works for a highway department or anything, please let me know. But primarily rock salt is sodium chloride, um, which is uh, can be quite damaging to plants. And I, as Ken had mentioned, I've seen this firsthand where people have piled snow maybe up on a corner somewhere of the sidewalk. And even though it, you know, snows water, um, there's still enough salt concentrated in that area to damage that turf grass or that shrub or whatever it is that's growing right there. Because salt acts as a desiccant. It pulls water away from living cells, just like, you know, you could kill a snail by pouring salt on it. It does the same thing to plant cells. So um, salt can be very damaging. And so uh, reiterating what Kenan said, piling up in one spot, especially, you know, if you salted before that, you're concentrating that salt into one location, creates higher levels of sodium chloride in that, that spot. Yeah, in addition to the plant damage, um, you get salt in the in the soil. That's those sodium ions, like salt, will dissociate when it gets dissolved in water. Mm -hmm. Remember back to the chemistry back in the day. That's you, you yeah. used a lot of big words there, Ken. <laughs> Nightmares tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but that <clears throat> if you get high sodium levels, that can cause issues with the soil, prevent clumping. Uh, of the soil, which can lead to increased compaction, um, which is going to reduce aeration and water infiltration uh, and all that stuff. You can raise soil pH. Now, you're putting out a lot of salt to do, to do a lot of damage, but <clears throat> you build up over time. You're taking all your salt from a parking lot and putting it in one spot. You could start having um, some issues there. Again, those sodium and chloride ions, when they get into the soil, um, it can cause issues with nutrient uptake. If there's too much of it, they can compete with other nutrients uh, for uptake with plants. So that can lead to nutrient deficiencies uh, in plants as well. Uh, the chloride ions, you know, those can build up in the in the growing tips and you get some uh, tip burn uh, and things like that, that as well. So not only is it the desiccation, but you can, you can do some damage to your soil. Um, there's the reason, I don't know if Romans actually salted the earth. Uh, and Carthage and stuff, but there's there's a reason they talk about that because it will mess up your soil if you get enough um, salt and stuff in there. At, and I, it is off. Uh, if the history books are accurate, it is used. It was used as a kind of a temporary weapon of war to salt the fields, maybe around where uh, maybe an enemy was farming, and that would then reduce the amount of crops that they could grow, desiccates the crops, but it's very temporary. As Ken had had, had mentioned there, salt or sodium is uh, can dissolve pretty easily into a solution. And so we can remedy the issue. So too much salt does not mean lead to like a permanent effect on your soil right there. 
but the death of the cell of the whatever plant that it lands on, that is permanent. So uh, we still have to often go in and do some repair work when it comes to like turf grass and things like that. Um, the other thing I, I noticed, and I use this image quite a bit when I'm teaching like woody plants class, is the salt spray that occurs from like plows pushing snow and that creates this spark, the spray of salt laden snow uh, onto onto plants. And so I, I, I've seen that happen quite a bit too. Yeah, or even cars driving by when it's nice and slushy like it is right now. You get that salt yes. in there and spray that on plants, especially, especially with evergreens. You, know, you get that on there, that salt draws out the moisture from the needles or the leaves if it's a broadleaf evergreen. Uh, and you get that, that desiccation, that drying out, yellowing and all that stuff. And a lot of times, if you've got those near a, a road, you got that one side of that plant that's all dried out and, and dead looking. But the other side, which is a little more protected, is fine. Yeah. And I'd say in that case, don't fight what what is going to be. Um, sometimes there are spots where plants just shouldn't go, um, uh, or perhaps it could be turf grass. A lot of places where I pile a lot of my snow is going to be either the lawn or it's going to be just a blank mulched bed. Um, we do, I, in my old house where we used to live, we had rock mulch around the base of the, the foundation of the home and kind of spreading then outward. Uh, I would pile a lot of snow onto there. There are no plants in there. People who landscaped that before me put plastic underneath all those rocks, like like actual plastic, which we do not recommend. Um, plastic does not need to go in the landscape, but um, it, it, it made it inhospitable to plants already. So piling snow on there was no big deal. So if you have a spot that just routinely gets hit by, by salt and the plants keep dying and you have to go back and buy that boxwood again, replant it every single year, maybe a boxwood's not a good choice for that location. Yeah. Or, yeah, look for more salt tolerant mm -hmm. plants, um, if possible. Yeah, if possible. And there's debate on whether those salt tolerant plant lists, how much research has gone into them. Uh, I think for the most part, though, a lot of those those plant lists, they're, they're pretty much created based upon where the plant is found naturally. So if the plant is naturally growing in an, in an environment with high sodium levels, high salt levels, whether it's um, by the ocean uh, or or somewhere else with high sodium levels in the soil, that's kind of what I believe has been used to develop those plant lists. Whether or not a lot of research has gone into it to see like, oh, they are resistant to rock salt, you know, uh, I, I don't know about that. But, but yeah, mm -hmm. check out some of those lists. And in addition to problems with plants, I mean, um, rock salt, sodium chloride is pretty corrosive too. So you got eating your car and the metal and you know, we've seen like stairs and stuff where the, the concrete's breaking down because the, the rebar and stuff is expanding because it's all rusting out and you got to replace stairs and stuff. So there's there's an additional caution for you there. Mm -hmm. Splurge so, for that undercarriage wash. Yes. Get that undercarriage wash, uh, do the the, spring, the sparkle wax, uh, all that stuff. So yeah, make your car sparkle. So Ken, I guess, it, it, are there alternatives to utilizing like traditional rock salt uh, that, that someone maybe could turn to to reduce risk to plant damage, damage to concrete, things like that? 
Yeah, so there's things like um, calcium chloride, calcium magnesium acetate. Uh, a lot of these, they can take going down to colder temperatures. So with rock salt, it really stops working around 20 degrees. So when you get really cold temperatures, it's not really going to do any good for you. It's still going to mm-hmm. ice. Um, think about the ocean, it still freezes. So if it gets cold enough, it'll still freeze. Some of these others can go down like negative 20. Um, a lot of them are still going to be really corrosive. Uh, most of these are going to be quite a bit more expensive. Uh, than rock salt too so that's something to keep in mind you know if you're only doing a small area maybe it's practical um i don't know how many people that listen to this you know are taking care of large parking lots but probably not very practical for large areas uh like that but there are alternatives out there and 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 some of these i don't know how how easy it is to get how common it is to find these maybe in larger cities um and stuff you can find them but you know i've looked around jacksonville i haven't looked in a while but it's primarily rock salt is what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I myself have personally never used any de-icing agent, except for at the office where we have to keep the sidewalk clear so people can walk to our office door without slipping and breaking an arm or something. So, um, and I think we just use traditional old rock salt. Um, and our plants that we have growing, we have a, it's a whole master gardener bed all along the walkway there. We've never had much of an issue there. So, uh, that's, that's, we also have a lot of sedums growing in that. Like that's actually our sedum garden is that entry walkway to our, our office. So maybe plant some sedums in that area. We bought a bag of salt and I think it took us five, six years to use it at home. <laughs> Basically we do the stairs to get in and out of the mm-hmm. house so you don't <laughs> slip and fall down the stairs. But other than that, yeah, we don't really use them much if we know somebody's coming. Uh, it's a little icy out. We'll throw some down. Yeah, don't use it very often either. Yeah. Well, and there's also this other really neat chemical you can use, sugar beets. Uh, so I guess there's a whole, I don't know if it's a byproduct or just part of the whole sugar beet industry itself, where you can take the juice from sugar beets. I think a, some highway departments up farther north will actually mix it into some of their road salt, which makes their road salt more effective at colder temperatures. And so I, Sugar beet could be an alternative uh, for some folks, but it's probably difficult to get your hands on gallons and gallons of sugar beet juice. I know that's a guess. I've never tried. Uh, maybe you can go on Amazon right now and get a 55-gallon drum of it. So I'm, I'm not sure. But um, I've heard, though, the people that use sugar beet juice to help uh, in de-icing, it turns the snow kind of a reddish color. Um, which looks like, you know, an animal has been slaughtered or something. Um, and so, and, and also if anyone has ever worked with beets, I have, they stain, like they stain your hands, they, they can stain your clothing. You can track that into the house and stain your carpeting. So um, just a forewarning, uh, it's kind of a neat idea, um, but might not be practical again for the homeowner. Uh, the Some other alternatives perhaps though, and things that I have used, I have used kitty litter, I've used sand, um, and I have found those do work when you don't get that much snow, maybe that much that much ice accumulating. But I I have a household then where we track in sand and kitty litter, and so if you do that, have the broom and vacuum uh, on hand to get that stuff all cleaned up. Yeah, I don't think there's any perfect solution 
No, maybe putting heating coils underneath your driveway. Oh, yeah, there are those those people have those. It's <laughs> kind of expensive, though. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm lucky enough that my driveway faces the south, well, more the west, but southwest-ish. So as long as I get a little bit of exposure to that dark pavement, it melts on its own with sunlight. So I just have to get a little bit of snow off there for that to start working. You just beat it down until it's a sheet of ice and... Usually there's enough gravel sticking up. You can get some traction. Yeah. The kids can go bobsledding on it. <laughs> right into the street. Yes. Well, Ken, do we got any more tips on salt? I know salt is a big deal. A lot of people do like to use it. We do get a lot of phone calls about damage. Is there anything else that we can give to folks? Uh, say like, uh, should we be using salt all winter long? Uh, is there a cutoff point? Um, so I would say in general, use it judiciously. Don't go crazy uh, with it. And it's relatively cheap, but you know, it's, it's not one of those things you need to be putting a tremendous amount down. Uh, the closer we get to spring, the more likely plants are to get damaged. Like kind of March 1st is sometimes thrown out there. It is kind of a, not necessarily a deadline, but where you want to, want to be particularly careful with using it. Uh, the closer they get to breaking dormancy, the more susceptible they are. Uh, to that damage as they start waking up. Um, you can try limiting it to high-risk locations, so steps, um, walkways, things on an incline where if you have ice, it's going to be a little more difficult uh, to walk so you're not sliding down those. Um, clear your snow before you put your salt down. You don't want to have a bunch of snow, put salt down, and then shovel it all away. Um, kind of defeats the purpose there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and... And alternatively, put the salt down before it starts snowing, uh, so that way it's melting it, and and it's kind of getting rid of it before it, it starts accumulating. It helps kind of reduce some of that accumulation. Um, eventually, they know that if you have enough snow, that salt's not going to melt all of it. Um, but that's another option uh, to doing that. Uh, like you mentioned, using um, some sort of sand or kitty litter, you can mix that with your salt, so you're not using as much salt. That'll help you gain traction. Uh, stuff and as well as as melt some of that ice um, again as long as it's above 20 degrees if you're using rock salt mm -hmm. um those plants you know if you've got evergreens or, or even deciduous plants can be damaged by salt spray uh, if you have plants that are that are consistently damaged or you've got stuff that's by the road um, that will get damaged from time to time you can try wrapping those in burlap to keep this some of that salt spray off uh, the plants trying to protect them that way uh, as well you can try hosing off plants if they get a lot of spray mm -hmm. probably easier said than done when it's really cold out but yeah maybe it's hard to do right now yeah later in the year you know if we get late freezing you don't want to put salt down or if, if you can still get the hose out um and then you know we did mention you know if, if you do get salt in the ground it can cause problems but it's not a it's not a death sentence necessarily to your soils um you can kind of leach that out water that well get that sodium and chloride down through that soil profile out of that root zone um, and help that that soil recover. So if you do have areas where things aren't growing and you know you've had a lot of salt in that area, uh, try leaching that out as well. Well, Ken, you know, I think we we can acknowledge that that snow winter weather can be dangerous and hazardous and people do need to be, be careful and be prepared for uh, things that might happen. But also winter is good. Um, I like winter. I really like snow. I really do like 
kind of that that winter weather. Um, and if I didn't, I would go to Arizona and play with the cactus down there or something. So, but it snow is good too. Uh, I I recall we've had a very dry 2023, and and we did get some rain in December. However, it it and it it I think we got we got a good rain. It was a good rain. However, a lot of that rain, if it came as snow. And let's say it melted, that melt happens a little bit more slowly than, say, a rainfall happens. And we're able to get a little bit more infiltration in the soil, um, get back to those hopefully pre-drought levels that we had before and uh, where we were in 2022. So we really do need the snow. It is really, really important for the meltwater that it does create, replenishes after an especially dry year last year. So what is there any other benefits though to to snow? Yeah. Well going back to the water, I mean last winter, 22, 23, we didn't have a whole lot of snow. Oh yeah. So we kind of started off almost... the year off with a deficit right off the back. So we didn't get that mm-hmm. that snow and stuff. So yeah, as much as people complain about it, it's it's good to have so you got the water, uh, I can help insulate plants, insulate the soil. Uh so snow early in the year is going to do a little better job. You know, the the more that Soil is exposed to cold temperatures, the deeper it's going to freeze, which could be a good or a bad thing. You know, the deeper it freezes, the more frost heaving you're going to have, which can, you know, heave up plants and cause some problems. But it also helps break up compaction, um, kind of turn the soil a little bit, get seeds down in there and stuff. So there's that's a little bit of a double edged sword, uh, that frost heaving. I, I think most people would probably think of it as a bad thing, but there is some benefit to that too. Um, but if you get snow on the ground there, Earlier in the winter, it doesn't freeze as deeply, which can help prevent some of that. Uh, if you get deep enough snow, you know, four, five, six inches, um, I've seen stuff where it can be that that surface level under that snow can be 20, 30 degrees warmer than it is above the snow. You know, if you get a, like it's like they're predicting negative temperatures that at the surface there, it may be low 30s, upper 20s, where above ground it's negative 10, 20 degrees. So that can help insulate the soil, insulate plants, um, you know, protect them from that, that winter, that cold damage uh, and, and stuff like that and, and help prevent them from being heaved out of the ground as that we get those uh, soil temperature fluctuations. Yeah, folks. So I, I know I, I turn on the news and they're like, oh man, winter. I'm like, yes, it is winter. You live in the Midwest. It's going to happen. So don't complain about it. Be happy celebrate it but be careful take precautions um you know it it's it is the the site of the season right before the winter storm everybody's going to the grocery store to get their milk their eggs and their bread and that we did we were there too i will admit it that we were there at the grocery store the day before it all <laughs> started snowing here t- this week so you got yeah. a big old bag of flour so you can make bread if need be it's oh yes i love homemade bread now I'm hungry. Ken, you did it to me again. <laughs> well, that was a lot of great information about what to do now that winter weather has finally arrived uh, this winter of January 2024. So uh, hopefully these tips will help people stay safe, protect your plants, uh, and enjoy the cold winter weather, the four seasons that we have here in this part of the world that we're so lucky to get. So, well, Uh, The Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. A special thank you to Ken Johnson for hanging out with me, chatting about what we're going to be doing 
what the snowmen that we're going to be building, uh, the forts we got, the igloos we got going. We have got all kinds of plans here. Uh, and so well, thank you, Ken, for hanging out with me today, talking about winter. Yes, thank you. I'm excited for the snow. And remember, lift with your legs, not your back. That's right. Take it in layers, too. Don't try to take all the snow at, this, at, at one time. Do it in layers. Send the kids out or grandkids. Mm-hmm. Yes. And try to bribe them with hot chocolate. That seems to work <laughs> in my house. At least it'll get a quarter of the driveway done. Get, so. get a little done. A little bit, yeah. So, And uh, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We got all kinds of things to chat about. Ken's going to be coming at you with a garden bite. So uh, look forward to that next week. The listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.